Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. If you give godlike powers to everyone, it's going to be chaos. So how do we stop him? By knowing I. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. And I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. Everybody, each month, the Gang of Thugs gathers to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil it rotten. This month, we're taking on the diminutive dynamo in Marvel's mightiest bench-strength hero, Ant-Man, from director Peyton Reed. I'm Pete Wright, and making up the gang this month, we have 
Joining us from his mansion in the hills wearing nothing but his wasp wings and a smile, Justin J.J. Yeager. I'm a tiny, tiny man. <laughs> a man whose bite is, interestingly, also often compared with that of a bullet ant, Andy Nelson. That's me. And the man whose first text out of the theater was to Evangeline Lilly wondering if she'd be willing to punch him in the mouth too, Steve Sarmento. I can't wait to talk about this. I'm so antsy to talk about it. <laughs> Before we get into the film, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com slash filmboard. Subscribe for free on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And be sure to join us over at instagram.com slash thenextreel and play uh, Stephen Smart's Instagram hashtag ponyprize hashtag guess the movie challenge contests going on weekly. New one starts on Friday. Uh, okay, here we go. Ant-Man. How'd we do as we suit up for our roundtable brief review? Andy. I had a lot of fun. It was a really enjoyable film to watch. Uh, it, there were some moments that uh, it just kind of uh, a little slow, kind of, uh, it, you know, kind of uh, cranked things down a little bit. But on the whole, I had a good time. Wow. Okay, good. All right. Good, Steve. I will have to concur with Andy, although I'd say the film does have some some little stumbles, some minor flaws. It was really thoroughly enjoyable. I can't uh, can't wait to talk uh, talk Marvel with you guys on this one. All right, so we're 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 trending uh, we're trending uh, up generally, JJ. Well, I yes, I think it's fun and special, and but I think I'm reaching a little bit of my fanboy on we in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think some of that angst may come through with some of our discussion here really i was actually worried about you i think the uh i i think that the film for me was exactly as good and cool as ant-man is to me (laughs) (laughs) which is to say like i say bench strength and that's really i mean i he was an avenger yeah and and it was he can get real small and and occasionally i i thought he got real big but I, he was not a comic uh, hero that I read much of, and so I don't know enough about him to really be able to judge, you know, where he fits in the canon and how they did there. I, uh, but, but generally, I had a pretty good time. My kids went ape for it, so that's got to say something. Yeah, my daughter, uh, it, we did her own little flick chart afterward, and it is now her favorite movie, more so than whoa, Guardians whoa, of the Galaxy whoa. or Avengers whoa. Age of Ultron, Frozen, all of those. Whoa. I know. I was really surprised. Yeah, that was that was the one. They they both of my kids were like, "We well, we walked out. We're gonna have to go see that again. Should we just buy tickets now? Uh, can you buy those online, <laughs> Dad? Can you just get those, and so we can just I'll put it in the calendar." Uh, JJ, can you start with just a little bit of of uh, of background and tell us just a little bit about where this where this fits and how we're supposed to I don't know think about it. So do you, is your question about cinematic or is it comic book? Or... Well, I feel like I need a little bit of both. Is that a pos- is that possible? Well, it's weird. So the original Ant-Man, Hank McCoy, who we meet as the uh, the old guy, as uh, Michael Douglas is, or sorry, Hank McCoy, Hank, Hank Pym. Hank, Pym. Hank M- McCoy is yet another brilliant uh, snarky character from the Marvel Universe. Um, uh, he was in one of the original Avengers. And when I say original, it's, it's like issue number two, I think. He was originally um, introduced to everyone. And then now Scott Lang shows up as another iteration of... Uh, Ant-Man in Avengers 181. So there's they're starting to play with the timelines of the cinematic universe, and I guess maybe, I'm not sure if our conversation wants to go this way, but maybe we want to talk a little bit about why they're doing that. Um, but they're, like, Hank Pym was a contemporary of Tony Stark, and they're making it more that Hank was of his father in the cinematic universe. And now Scott Lang, it's difficult to see how he fits in um, with the cinematic universe now, uh, but he was used in a lot of different ways in the comic books uh, and has been, you know, killed off, brought back, and Cassia's daughter is killed off and brought back in the comic books. So it, it really feels to me like they're using this character to set up the table for some story that's going to come later on, which is some of that Ant-Man will return type of thing that's there. Um, it, I was confused going in that this was the next movie that they were making, Um but I think, you know, you talked about a bench strength, right? You, you use that word. I think really what they're trying to do here is bring up a character that fits in a lot of the Marvel uh, needs as far as what he can do and who he can be so that they can use it 
in whichever way they want to use it going forward with the story as it lines up uh, in the new in the next movies. Okay, so what is it that gave you angst? Ant Man to me, and this is it, it, this is probably my my problem is that I, I was never really into the Ant Man superhero, right? But now, if I want to separate myself from that in in the comic universe and think about what they're trying to do with the movies, I feel like they're kind of sussing out from the Marvel universe a lot of the similar sort of character types that when you were reading the books, if you were reading the books, you were able to sort of choose one and go along. So you've got this snarky superhero character, right? And there's we've seen it with Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy. We've seen it with... Um, uh, it, it's basically the, the idea of who Spider-Man is. They've done it well sometimes. They've done it not so well other times. Um, but the, And another thing is if you're looking at the Deadpool trailers coming up, that's who Deadpool's going to be to an extreme degree. So you've got that likable sort of snarky, clever comic person. And then they cast Paul Rudd in this role. So they brought in Scott Lang, who's supposed to be a sort of edgy superhero thing too. And then now you have the other angle of who Ant-Man is, which is that brilliant scientist character in the Marvel Universe. So you've got your 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 Tony Stark. You've got your, um, you've got, uh, oh, you got Bruce Hank Banner. Pym. You've got Hank Pym now. And now you've got, and, and I brought up Hank McCoy because he's another one of those. He's he Beast, Beast from the yeah. X-Men, right? And he's a scientist and he's snarky. It's it, So you kind of get into, you start to feel like you've got all these, this sort of character type that comes through the Marvel Universe, which when I was reading the books, it was fine because I chose the ones that I like. I didn't have to follow Fantastic Four because Reed Richards played that in that book. He was the brilliant leader guy in there, but I didn't really gravitate towards that. So I went to the other ones that I liked. What I think is difficult for me now with the movies is uh, they're starting to bring those character types and they're in all the movies and they're trying to make through lines and it's I'm feeling like I need to pick one. And I don't know that that's possible with the way that they're scripting the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's kind of where my angst is coming up in that I don't, for Paul Rudd, I love Paul Rudd and I didn't really like Scott Lang. So that's difficult for me. That's a really interesting comment. What do you guys, where do you guys, uh, Andy, Steve, where do you stand on Paul Rudd as Scott Lang as the the superhero? Uh, Did he stick for you? I thought he was great. I mean, I don't have any knowledge at all of Ant-Man or anything having to do with him with the Avengers, anything like that. I just am walking into it completely blind. And I love Paul Rudd. I thought he was really enjoyable as as Scott Lang. I thought he did a good job as this character. I mean, there were times where I didn't completely buy Paul Rudd as the, the kind of the engineering genius building these little devices and stuff like that. But I kind of let all that slide because it's a, it's a Marvel movie, I guess. It's an interesting casting you know it, it sort of reminds me of you know going back to like night late 1980s of casting michael keaton as batman now of course there we're going much darker but somebody who is perceived as you know a comedian that's what paul rudd is known for and to put him in this action film you know is it something he can stretch to the character as, as justin explained we do have this snarky side which i think you know paul rudd plays very well and i i didn't have any other issues with the performance i was wondering how well, that would play in this film with the tone of the film, with this expectation of you know the, the humor that he would bring to this role. Would it fit in or would it feel sort of shoehorned in because that's what he does, that's his shtick, and they would be, try to just fit it in so that it's the Paul Rudd we all know and love. And it, to me, it, it, it felt you know right there with the tone of the film. It, it felt in place, and I just enjoyed the, the feel of this film, that it wasn't so heavy as some of the others and i think that may have to do with the the genre of of this film that you know we've talked about before with the marvel films of each of these sort of tackle their own genre and this one uh has its own genre separate from the others and i think it it fit really well and i i had no issues well and and one one more thing about uh paul rudd is he is a very funny actor, and when you're taking a concept of a superhero like Ant-Man, which by nature is pretty silly anyway, I think that you want to find somebody like Paul Rudd who can kind of, who knows the, 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 the absurdity of that superhero and is able to kind of play that. Uh, in a way that I think makes I it I think work. that's really the secret and what makes Paul Rudd work for me here too. Uh, 
that he is he comes off as that comedic everyman um and and yet they uh, and and he does showcase the absurdity of his own powers i think really well i think it's it the the suit is is ridiculous the talking to ants is absurd and and yet he sort of normalizes it for me but i also think it was uh, you know that whole environment was made so much richer with michael peña who i mean every time he was on screen <laughs> Uh, made it just that much funnier for me. Like it was he was perfect, right? Perfect. He was he was sort of what I normally expect out of Paul Rudd in movies like you know Forty Year Old Virgin. I mean, <laughs> no, he is he was that guy, and I thought he was like even as as it was, I thought he was underused, Michael Pena. So I thought it was perfect. Um, and Paul Rudd, you know, I, I, to me the the appearance of Paul Rudd, known so much as kind of an everyman, uh, man, the dude looked good. Right? He was cut. I'm telling you, he worked hard for this movie. He did. And, and I, I, again, I say I love Paul Rudd. The, the angsty thing that I feel with Marvel right now, though, is can't you switch him out with Chris Pratt and Ryan Reynolds? Couldn't any of the three of them play yes. their three different roles? That's the part where I'm starting to get frustrated because if the actors are interchangeable, is, is, am I starting to feel that way about the characters, too? So I, I, maybe we can talk a little bit about what Paul Rudd did bring to this role because I agree with all that. I feel like he was an everyman, and I feel like he I, you guys are making really good points about what he did. My, I guess I'm talking about a, maybe a more, a more macro thing. Of like now, I'm starting to feel like the Marvel movie, movies are, are are feeling the same, and 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 that makes me kind of disappointed as a as a fanboy. Well, I think that's a I think that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought it back around to that because it when you when you first said it, it, it you know this the word sort of diversity came to mind, and I don't mean just like racial diversity. Like oh my gosh, it would be so much better if Ant Man were Hispanic. It would it it is it is a diversity of tone uh, and. A diversity of just sort of story and and I think I don't think I ever really had a sense for what was missing until all of the Comic-Con DC footage came out and you see the stark contrast between what DC is doing in their universe compared to Marvel and I you know I not that one is good or, or better or worse than the other and I think DC is facing very much a similar problem of now they're known as the dark uh, comic universe and and yep. that's not that much better but boy does it highlight the shortcomings of the other one am i am i uh on the right track i i agree i and um you know i i actually the 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 trailer that we saw for the dc movie is the first time i've been excited about a dc movie in a long time but the fact that it was a dc movie um and i've always been that way about marvel and i'm just starting to feel like we're just kind of hitting the same notes with marvel now well i think that's gonna the more of these that they make, that's going to be the battle that they'll be fighting because there are so many comic book heroes now that trying to find the way to make it stand out as a different type of character, a different type of hero is going to be that much more challenging. Well, it also gets to, you know, origin story with this whole, you know, phase two of, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We were past that. It was we, we knew where these characters were. We had stories we were developing. This is the first origin story we've had in a while. And I did find myself sort of going over, okay, we've, we've done this before slightly differently. Yes, you know, it's a different film. But, you know, at a certain point, it's like how many different times do you have a, a hero origin story? You know, the, the you got the big bad, you know, corporation and secret technology. And it, 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 to me, it felt like a lot of things lifted out of the first Iron Man film. Why is it that origin stories feel like origin stories in comic books, but as soon as you have enough of them on screen, they really start to feel bland? I'm t- I'm with I mean I maybe I'm taking it even further than you. I'm tired of origin stories. I really am just exhausted of origin stories. Well, I think Justin got to that point of it's it maybe because they have to put them in the same universe. Well, I I don't know because I I was struggling with that with you know its origin but it's we you know there's references to the avengers and we can get into those things and in the comic books i mean everything is interconnected they will reference other you know additions and 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 point you there but i guess there's something in it in terms of the structure of what you can do in a film and what the audience expects for this for a story to do and the investment that goes into that where if you try an origin story in a comic book and it doesn't take off you can always reboot it again. You can reinvent it. You can bring it into another universe. Here, it's a bigger risk. And maybe that's, you know, what works is what works. And they go with it and we, we tweak it around the edges. 
you know, that's that's my feeling about it. that's what I, I see with there's that risk and reward and I mean I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong. Well, is anybody excited about the new Fantastic Four, where they're going to do the origin story again there? I mean, no one's talking about it that I can tell. We're not. Well, I think it, it boils down to the fact that it's a story structure. It's like we are so familiar now with the story structure of this particular pattern of storytelling. We know how an origin story goes. And when you cram it into a little two-hour block of time, as opposed to, you know, when you're, in a comic book, you can make it, it's going to be... a you know, a 12 arc uh, issues, you know, a 12 issue arc uh, or, or however many issues in a movie. It just, we, we have that story down now and we all have that sense that we know exactly what beats we have to hit in order to get to the, that end climax when they take the mantle of the hero and conquer the villain. And I think that's, that's Andy, a big part I, of it. I am curious your take on this um, when, when specifically to that point, are we spoiled by Daredevil, uh, the Netflix series? Because for for me, when you say that it could be a twelve, you know, a twelve issue arc, I think, wow, we didn't even see the Daredevil costume until the end of the final episode of that Netflix series. Am I spoiled by the patience that that sort of forced me to have? And would I have been benefited by seeing a character like Scott Lang evolve over the course of twelve episodes on Netflix? I think that's it. I mean, I think absolutely. The reason that, well, I, I won't say that's the reason that Daredevil worked so well, but I think that was a huge advantage that Daredevil had is they had time to evolve that origin story and let us kind of come to it more with him as he kind of navigated his way there. And like you said, we didn't have to get to even to the outfit until the very last episode of that series. Now we've just got, okay, act one, we've got to introduce the the mysterious scientific thing that is going to happen that's going to cause this person to enter this new world and then the second act is all about you know kind of the the good and the bad of now helming this role and confronting the villain uh, and then having kind of that downfall into the third act where they really kind of have to make the change and become the hero it's like we know that story so well it happens in two hours and we've seen it so many times now it's hard to do it it's hard to do it differently well, it, 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 it is and this is what's interesting because just earlier in the week, sat down and watched Unbreakable with my daughter, who's a big you know Marvel fan. And we're watching that film. We've you know we've done the M Night Shyamalan thing. We've we're watching you know Lady in the Water and Signs and all that. So she's like, okay, this is going to be this sort of edgy thriller. And then there's the scene where David Dunn is standing in the train station and people are brushing up against him and he's seeing these crimes they've committed. And she looks at me and she goes, oh. This is an origin story. This is how he becomes. And it's like, that when that film came out, that was not, I don't know that that term was in the common vernacular there when talking about films. So I know she's familiar with an origin story, but she's, when that film ended, she said, I really, really like this movie. And I think part of it is, it's a new spin on the origin story. Is that something that, you know, we can't do because... We have to give people what they want. If we're going to a, a superhero film, we have those things. We have those expectations, Andy. And if we if we gave them something that's a totally you know different tone with like Unbreakable that doesn't clearly tell us that we're seeing a superhero film, is that going to upset people? Is it not going to you know draw in the crowds? You know, that's because I think we can do that. Well, the the bottom line is when it comes to spending millions of dollars to, to do it, of course they're going to play it safe and give people, give the the vast majority of, of the population what they want. This is uh, this is the difference, I think, for, for me with Unbreakable. I don't even think it's a fair comparison because I am I am like your daughter. I mean, it was, I, it was not until the end that I realized, holy crap, this is a superhero movie. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't know when I first saw it. I didn't, that was the, the Shyamalan trick in that particular movie was that he made a movie that was ostensibly about something very different and it was a superhero story, origin story, and I loved him for it. That could only be true here if they didn't call it Ant-Man and we didn't know it was Ant-Man, that that was the big secret until the very end and he stands up in the suit and suddenly he can get small. Like that That's the kind of unveiling that we need. In this case, we know the story before we even walk in. To Andy's point, we've seen it so many times that you know the first hint, the first whiff of the trailer, we know what it's going to be about. 
and and we all love Unbreakable, so it's easy for us to say. But I think Steve's point makes sense too. Is that we think it's so amazing that we realized halfway through that hey, it's a superhero movie. Hey, it's an origin story. But it didn't do well enough to make Unbreakable right. two and Unbreakable right. three. So Steve's point is maybe well taken in that they've found the Aerosmith formula to make a pop song here. And they're doing it uh, over and over again because they're making money and it connects with their universe. Uh, you know, I, for one, I'm getting a little tired of it. And I think that says a lot coming from you. Oh, me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Like I was giddy to see the movie and because it's Marvel and I still love when I see their little Marvel thing at the beginning of every film that I see. But it's just um, I, I don't really need to see one for a while, I guess. Well, and and I don't want to I don't want to just because we really I did have a really good time at this movie, but the biggest yeah. disappointment speaking of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and sort of the the Kevin Feige um, you know, helmed strategy here, the biggest disappointment that I think I've had over the last couple of months is finding out that Ava DuVernay is not going to be directing Black Panther. Um, you know, and ostensibly because of uh, creative differences that they're moving in a direction with this character, another bench strength character, I think Black Panther. I, again, that's 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 one that I I like a lot, but I'm not sure that I'm uh, that that is certainly not a a Tony Stark level of Marvel character. I don't know. Check me if I'm lying on that, JJ. But no, you're right. Uh, but but I'm really interested. I think it it conjures up some some really complex issues that we would be able to deal with in the auspices of a superhero movie in a way that I think could have been really interesting. I don't know who the director is that they're putting in there, but I'm I'm worried a little bit about that. When you look at this film. Uh, and the controversy getting this film to be made, uh, you know, that this was a, a passion project from Edgar Wright for, you know, 10 years, I guess, and, and uh, that he was, uh, that he left the film for, again, creative differences, uh, to be replaced by Peyton Reed. You know, is, is that a sign? What do we, what do we think about this, uh, you know, this level of uh, series control, universe control? Uh, is that what's preventing us from getting more, complex more interesting stories well i think it's it, it's it's that franchise and it's these are marvel films these are it's not you don't have the auteur it's not a steven spielberg film you know you look back at all the directors you've got you know and we've talked about this before with tent poles of studios finding competent directors who haven't really created a brand in their name uh and we and i think we've talked previously about you know who really has the creative reins there and is it somebody that they can they can manage the pro the director to manage the project with Marvel calling these shots and as we hear more and more about creative differences I think yeah that's we have to look at that in terms of these are Marvel films these are not the property of a director who has found a script and they're bringing that vision it's here's this piece it has to fit into this universe it has this role to play and you know in, in my perception it's they'll find somebody that can competently manage that production. You know, and maybe bring a little bit of their their flair and style to it. I think Peyton Reed. There's some of his films I've really enjoyed. There's some that have been complete clunkers. You know, and so there was a lightness to this that I've seen in his other films, and maybe that's there. Then I have to look and see Edgar Wright's you know credit you know on on the script and say is that you know remnants of what he contributed to this before he departed from this project. You know the role of the director in these films, I think, is is very often very different from other films we may you know discuss, where it's a specific project that a director has sort of shepherded along the way as their own personal you know project. What are we missing from Edgar Wright that we you know that we really feel like we we are genuinely missing? I mean, did any of you guys walk out of this film saying this would have been better if Edgar Wright had done it? Well, I I, I have to think it would have just because I I love Edgar Wright so much. Um, I, you know, I, I think that he seemed to be somebody who was so in touch with Ant-Man. I mean, he shot that uh, demo reel a few years ago that actually helped it get off the ground. I, I have to think that with him at the helm, it would have really felt like an Edgar Wright film. And it would have really, uh, there must have, I think there must have been something there that would have made it much better. Um, Peyton Reed, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I don't have a whole lot to say about Peyton Reed. I mean... Bring It On, I enjoyed. Down With Love, I enjoyed. Didn't see The Breakup, uh, didn't see Yes Man. And so it, he strikes me as a director that seems to be um, a very much um, 
somebody that they bring on to get the job done sort of director. I think he was, I think he did a fine job. I, you know, I, 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 and I wonder because I, you know, I walked out, I, I found myself asking the question, what would I have really loved had this been a, an Edgar Wright movie? And there were some things in the movie as it stands that felt like Edgar Wright touches to me. Like, for example, every time Pena was telling a story, you know, the way their mouths would move with his mouth, uh, and that got profess- pro- progressively more absurd uh, in his kind of retelling. That was the, the the best part of the movie. Yeah, it was really great. It was really great, and and just another kind of nod to that sort of awkward humor that I think was brought to the to the film. But do you think that was in there from from Edgar Wright's script, or or do you think that that that's something Peyton Reed brought? I mean, the Mothership is a is a really is a, a fine podcast and uh, from USA Today, and I don't really read USA Today, but the podcast is fine. It's a nerd cast, and they interviewed Peyton Reed, and and he was uh, he, he was fairly you know I, I mean it just. He had a really good sense of the humor and of the the touches that were in the script before he got there, and of the touches that were Paul Rudd's and of the touches that were his uh, and on set kind of decisions. And so, you know, it it just it it was clear that he has an understanding of what came before in in crafting the story. No, I I just don't think that like he doesn't strike me as a director who from his body of work who really has a defined style like Edgar Wright Yeah, does. I would agree with that. Yeah. I guess that's what I was saying is I, I just don't see a Peyton Reed style. And to this film, I see more, almost more of an Edgar Wright style just through the screenplay than I do anything that screams Peyton Reed. And I just think if Edgar Wright was helming it, it would have made it stand out. It would have been more. even more of that. I, I agree. I would yeah. hope so. You know, and because I think that 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 Michael Pena uh, sort of thing was uh, was the special part of the film. Other than that, it didn't really advance the Marvel story anywhere for me. And it was that sort of um, the the redundant origin story uh, comic book movie. Um, and that was the real frustrating deal there. So if if Edgar Wright did the 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 specialness to it and i I would hope that 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 there would have been more of him there too i was gonna say it it reminded me in some ways like the thor films where you know justin it isn't really advancing any larger story but it's introducing something and if i have to pinpoint it it's you know the little vial of yellow fluid that you know makes its way off of there's other things that go on but i know that's the thing to come back and then you know end end of credit sequence okay we see what's coming but, you know, with both Thor movies, it was always like, yeah, there's stuff going on, but it was really here to introduce some element that's going to be a major plot point or integral to a future story. And I think those are my two disappointments. It's the film served that function solely and then, you know, redundant, uh, you know, origin story. So it's, it's you know, almost like a, a placeholder. Even, even the scene we have with our little crossover Avengers scene, you know, was was kind of, you know entertaining but it just still felt like yeah there's there's nothing going on and we're gonna cram this story into a little sequence where there's nothing going on the larger marvel universe and move on and that urgency that connectedness that we've seen with the other parts of phase two just wasn't there and it just really i want to say the film was limp but because it had lots of fun had lots of excitement but just when compared to everything else we've, we've seen in phase two just didn't hold up. And I think that's an important part. I think if Ant-Man wasn't part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it was just a standalone, if it was an Unbreakable on its own, it we'd be maybe saying this is a fun summer movie with some clever dialogue and some interesting ideas. But because we're expecting this sort of uh, next level jump for the Marvel movies, it, it just feels like that same theme. And maybe that's not enough anymore. Well, and it's so far. I mean, that that may be why we we loved Guardians of the Galaxy as much as we did because it was so set in such a different place that it felt more like a standalone film. It was much more of just sort of a space science fiction film with Marvel tones um, than a typical Marvel uniformed superhero film. And uh, something else about this film that we haven't talked about yet that I think is interesting that could have made it really stand out a lot more is um, is using a different genre, the heist genre, to really uh, do something more with it. Like Captain America Winter Soldier, we talked about how that had much more of a kind of political thriller genre vibe going on in it, which we liked uh, in that film. This one has that heist genre vibe going on in it, um, I, I feel like they really could have amped it up, though. And I think if they had 
brought more of that heist film kind of energy to it, I think that it could have helped pull it away from that origin story rut that it kind of is in a little bit. That's interesting because when you bring up, you know, you bring up that particularly Winter Soldier, you bring up the Russos, you know, the Russos have much more of a sensibility and a style that, uh, that I think is really, uh, you know, interesting. And uh, they're the way they handle action, I think is really interesting and suspense uh, is really interesting. And I'm very much looking forward to, you know, to seeing what they do with Captain America Civil War. One of the other little anecdotes from Peyton Reed uh, from this Mothership podcast was about hearing of having uh, Paul Rudd call him from the set of uh, Captain America um, Civil War and say that this is this is a very different experience. I feel like I'm at the grown-up table. <laughs> well, I think I, the one that I keep co- going back to, the, we keep talking about the, the difference between uh, a director with a particular style and then the idea of introducing a new character with a particular style, too, which I think is interesting if we go back and we look at the the introduction movies because this is we're talking about introducing ant-man in phase two um and i know that you guys aren't big fans of the thor movies and i i I mean i'll admit when the thor movies first came out i was thought it was strange that they were adding thor at that part too but you you think of who thor represents as a character and then you think about kenneth Branagh being the director of the first one and what what, and the differences that it felt there now it wasn't a genre thing so it wasn't that political theory uh thriller like uh winter soldier and it wasn't necessarily the heist thing it was just a different movie and i and i really felt that when they brought thor to it i i actually am a fan of the thor movies and 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 this one felt like it was a, a a a character we've seen before and, and a director that didn't have a whole lot of style. Maybe that's back to the Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright, Peyton Reed discussion, because I think that if they could have held on to that, maybe we would get something really different here. Um, but I feel like they've done it better before. Uh, you know, I would add to that. I was such a big fan of the first Captain America movie. Uh, I think I'm the only one. But I really, really liked it. And I liked it for that reason, because at least it told the story in a different way. Sort of, It was more of a historical drama than it was about, um, you know, just getting him in the suit. It, it was a lot of context and a lot of, of politics and a lot of, of, you know, that sort of humiliation that he felt as a, as a you know, figurehead in a parade. And I loved seeing that part of the captain. And I think that set us up for a much better relationship with that character in every subsequent film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And 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 maybe if we could if we could look at this movie if if Edgar Wright could have stayed with it, maybe we would feel that way more here. But at this point it kind of feels like we're judging it against all these other great starts that Marvel has had and it just doesn't live up to them. Well, and and, and I just want to say, I mean, we're we we are bagging on it, but I mean, I still had a Good great movie. time watching it's this. It's fun. It's enjoyable. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I really did have it a very enjoyable time. I certainly enjoyed it more than Iron Man 2. I mean, it's it's not like by far anywhere near the bottom of my list. I mean, I enjoy this more than Captain America, which is my one of my least favorite Marvel films. But um, uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I don't want to feel like it's just, you know, we're, we're really getting down on it. But in context of looking at it for what it is as an origin story, I think it is important. Well, important stuff to talk about it because I think Marvel has an expectation now. They've set for themselves an expectation that this is a chapter in part of a a much larger tale. And in that respect, I feel like we have to judge it against these other films. I, but I'm with you. I really liked it. I mean, I, I really, I had a great time. Uh, It was, it was a fine film. Absolutely. Uh, Let's, uh, let's just do a quick rundown of your other favorites from the cast. Can we talk about Corey Stoll? What is up with that guy being so ba- so just so good at being so mean and he's so bad. He's so bad. So fantastic. He's great. Uh is that as Steve was he your favorite? Well, it's just I guess it's like if you're going to find somebody to be unlikable, I don't it's just like I saw that and I go yeah, I mean he's and it was great. It was it wasn't the, you know, like Mr. Burns evil, you know, evil, you know, villain it was you know there was an interesting dynamic there and i and there and there was that moment where he's talking with michael douglas about you know why why did you pick me and you know it's because i and he says you know hank says well because i saw some of me in you and he's like why did you push me i saw too much of me and you know i thought that was there was there were interesting moments like that that there i guess maybe it's the, the character there was i feel like the characters didn't have enough room to breathe in this there was a lot because of the origin story to get along and i thought there's an interesting dynamic between those, you know, he talks about, you know, it's like the son he didn't have. And there's these parental relationships throughout this film 
that gave this uh, gave him as a villain something a little bit more a little bit more appeal that I knew it just wasn't the I'm the I'm the bad guy. I mean, he plays bad really well, easy to despise guy. But I thought there was an interesting aspect to him. That's a really interesting observation, Steve, because I, you know, I, I walked out thinking, I, like, I thought it was interesting that he had the, you know, the balance between kind of, I'm I'm going to prove something to dad. Uh, you know, I'm going to succeed where he thought I would fail. Uh, the, meh, why don't you like me more? You know, why don't you love me? Relationship with his dad. And I think the, the complexity in his relationship with, and I'm, I'm saying dad, but it's uh, obviously the sort of, uh, the uh, assumed parental role with, uh, Hank Pym. I, I feel like that relationship was interesting in a way that the relationship between Hank Pym and Scott Lang was not. And and I didn't. There were there were some pieces of it. I just didn't get why Scott Lang was so important to Hank Pym uh, to take on the mantle of Ant Man. I I didn't quite get why he'd been watching specifically him. Uh, and and uh, so I I think their relationship, their emotional connection, their relationship was more rewarding for me uh, than than the relationship between Scott and Hank. You know, there's the scene with um, Scott and Hope in the car. And he talks about, you know, Scott, he knows he's, he's expendable. That's why he, you know, Hank's pushing so hard for Scott to be the one to wear the suit and not hope. It's because he knows I'm, he said, I'm expendable. And that, you know, why was he watching him? Because, you know, and it's, it's easy throwaway lines. Like you're the guy that broke into the thing that nobody could break into before. So, I mean, it's, it's those simple things, but I, I agree. There's, there, there's a lot less to hang on in that relationship that, you know, if that's the pivotal relationship in the in the film that we're going to spend a lot of time with, that there there wasn't a lot to it, and that may be the other thing that where this film I don't want to say is feeling hollow, but yeah, there there just should have been more there with with such uh, if, if that's the the crucial relationship that's going to carry the story. Yeah, I thought it. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's where I am. What do we think about Evangeline Lilly uh, and and the. Um Gosh, the hope that she brings to uh, a potentially strong <laughs> uh, female-led uh, superhero film. I thought she was great. And, uh, I mean, I, I did not completely see that coming. I feel like I should have seen it coming. I just don't know enough about the comic world that she's going to be another another character in this uh, whole universe, which I think is great. I think she's uh, a good uh option to choose as somebody to step forward and take on another superhero mantle. Is, Pete, are you saying there's going to be a Wasp movie? Well, no. I mean, I, I don't know that there's going to be a Wasp movie, but there <laughs> is... But but do you know what I'm saying? Like, there is... Yeah. He did come out and say that there is a future for Wasp, and she's in a... Um, and and she's and, and what's interesting is that Hope, as, as I understand, was not Wasp uh, in the, the lore. No, they've, they've changed it. And, yes, in fact, Hope's mean. character was, like, evil. Um. She she oh, was the bad guy, really? uh, in as part wow. of her other thing. I don't know what that. What was her name, JJ? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, well, it's tough because they, they've gone back and forth with these things. So Yellow Jacket, for example, which is who, uh, which is who we're getting from Cross in this right. one. Yellow Jacket was actually Pym, and he, so she might have been Yellow Jacket, or it's it's tough to tell. But no, she was not Wasp. That's that's something that's brand new. I, I can I can verify that. So I'm I'm hopeful for a future for her. I'm uh, you know, but I thought she was great. I love Evangeline Lilly. I think she's terrific, and she's just super charming on screen. And uh, and to the thought of you know I'm with you, Andy. I was a little bit surprised when at that that first uh, closing scene that uh, that that uh, opened, and I felt really dumb because totally should have seen it. It was like telegraphed <laughs> right. multiple times throughout the film. <laughs> we just didn't get didn't exactly. Get <laughs> Who else lights you up in this film? You guys? Well, how about Ju- how about Judy Greer as the uh, the movie mom of the summer? <laughs> I love her in everything, so I can't, can't comment on her. That's just so funny. It's like I know you left your other kids at a park, here. lady. <laughs> <laughs> you should be sub- submitted to CPS. She's going to be cast as you know those 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 character actors that are known as that guy. She's going to be that mom. You know that lady. She's that mom in the movie. She's totally that mom. <laughs> right. Well, yes, and going to Judy, so uh, the Paxton character, right? That's uh, Bobby. I don't know how to Bobby say. Bobby Cannavale. They Bobby really Cannavale. sold his 
grossness to me in the first two thirds of the film. And I think the turn that we get at the end with them is kind of special, actually. The fact that he, through the trauma that they experienced together, through you know all the crises and the climax and everything, that he actually comes to the side and they can work together as a blended family. I mean, who knows if that's going to last, but I think that's new and special. And the fact that uh, just seeing them at the dinner table at the end, and I think he did a good job of that. I think he, he as, a, as an actor, turned that character really well in my mind. I didn't expect that to happen. I expected him to be a crap throughout the entire movie and to continue to, to deal crap to Scott Lang. But uh, I just thought that it was neat that they were able to take that leap and they were able to turn it around. I, I, I believed his turn and I thought I, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I agree. I thought I, I really enjoyed that turn and... Uh, that whole last bit, I mean, uh, you know, jumping out of the characters, but into the uh, the climactic fight moment, I, I, everything about that last fight I thought was really uh, just really done really well and in a very fun way. And, and having Paxton involved in that, I think, worked really well. Uh, how'd you feel about the... Um... Oh goodness! There's so I, I, that that last bit. I agree with you, Andy. That I felt like that that was a turn in the film in a number of ways, and I think by comparison, it made the first two two thirds of the film feel a little bit, you know, even emptier. Um, and because I just had a, such a blast at the in the in the end of the film from the from the from the infiltration on uh, when he gets trapped in the thing and finally real in the in the sealed glass fishbowl and finally realizes oh i could blow the thing up with my little flappy discs that's so great (laughs) um i i just had a blast watching that and uh but then he's he shrinks into quantum space quantum (laughs) time and subatomic how did he went subatomic subatomic. that's right he went (laughs) i don't even know how that how did that hold up for you guys you feel like you were you were subatomic with him I was afraid that that was going to be weak, but I, I will say that actually they performed the effects and the the time in subatomia uh, well <laughs> enough that uh, that I actually, for a moment while I was in the theater, I thought, oh, this might be a big thing about the Pym particle and Ant-Man's relevance to the universe, which in the books it really is. I mean, there is something bigger there. And the fact that they spent, I don't know, what was it, three minutes? Not even, probably not even three minutes there in that realm, exploring how Scott Lang went there and came back. I actually thought that was that was a big win for the movie because it it did. I agree with you, Pete. It it made the earlier kind of the 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 tropes and the and the simple stuff at the beginning seem weaker because all of a sudden it seemed like there was a lot more weight to the film in that short bit of time oh i'm i'm so shallow i i just thought it was reminded me of the beginning of black hat <laughs> where they're going on the computer <laughs> like how i kept going it's gonna we're getting closer i'm like how small can he get i kept thinking how much how much closer can we get and it kept going and it kept going and then it, it blew me away and it kept getting smaller and smaller and i was like Wow, he's given Michael Mann a run for his money. <laughs> oh, really? I I can't tell. You're serious about this? You did not think that was fun? No, I did. I did. Oh, okay. I it, was, it, it was it was a lot of fun with that. I I was surprised at uh, how how far they push it of of how small he goes because I thought okay, it's just going to get to a, a critical point of and it just yeah to go to that super subatomic level is was interesting. It, it was. A dimension that I didn't ex- expect it to go into, literally, of just, this is lighthearted, you know, superhero. And all of a sudden we're getting, like, super scientific of, like, quantum levels and, and re- quantum reality and, and all of that. I, so I was just kind of in awe. I, uh, there, there's a bit where they're talking about, with the effects team, um, Peyton Reed is talking about how his, you know, he went to the effects team saying, we need this to, to he needs to shrink down to nothing. And they said, "Well, how you got to have something because it's a movie. How much? How much is in your nothing? What does your nothing look like?" And so, you know, going into this sort of fractal kaleidoscopic space, you know, I thought it, 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 at first I thought, "Man, I'm this is going to feel like Lawnmower Man." I just know once he gets past the <laughs> du- dust particles, I'm going to be in a Lawnmower Man kind of a, a mode. And I ended up coming out of it really sort of fresh and relieved because they now have. Uh, they built into that the uh, mechanics for making him big. And I hope they make him big. Doesn't he get big? Yes. 
That's his thing, right? He can that's, get really small, but he can get really big too. And Ant Man is also Giant Man. Yes, I want that. That's what I wanted out of this movie. I wanted to, I wanted that to be the big reveal, not a giant ant or a giant Thomas the Train. I wanted him to be giant. I thought that would be awesome. <laughs> when he comes out of the smoke and of the tiny space, had he blown up into this like twenty story man out of the house, destroys the house, that would have been comic genius. <laughs> and then that's just the end. Roll credits. That's well, the Edgar end. Edgar Wright would have done that. See, all right. Now you've just uh, you've ca- so I've gone into an uh, Edgar Wright rant, but that that's what you're right. Now I know what I would have been missing. I do. I think that Peyton Reed actually did handle it quite well, going back and forth with the the normal world and the small world, and even down into the subatomic world. I always enjoyed how the transitions worked, and how even when it was action, how it always flowed, going from size to size. I, I really was impressed with the. Uh, the effects on all of that. I, you know, I really agree, and I was worried about it because, you know, I think we've been, I don't know, I feel like I've been burned by small, small scale shooting uh, the effects that just yeah. don't quite work out. And I felt like this worked pretty well, especially you go back into that final, that final fight on the train track, which I thought was super charming <laughs> when they pull out, <laughs> right? And show the tiny thing fall off the tracks. I thought that was really great. Uh, yes. I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, well, that I, was all I, perfect. Yeah, I think you know, Andy, you often talk about. As an audience, do we know where we are? And when the camera's going, you know, adjusting from, you know, micro scale to large scale and, and back and forth and moving around in an action sequence, I I was always able to, to track where I was. I, I didn't lose myself. I wasn't disoriented. And in a lot of action films and, and fight scenes, it, it can be really frenetic editing and camera movements. But that was one thing I, I felt was really well done in this was to keep us oriented as to where Ant-Man was, where we were, which scale we were, and it just tracked really well. And I thought was really smooth. I didn't, I didn't have, we didn't have shaky cam. We didn't have, at least I didn't feel unsettled by lots of fast and, you know, cutting and anything. It just, it, they managed that balance very well. I felt. The uh, cinematography is done by Russell Carpenter. He's got about 45 credits or so to him. And it is, uh, uh, it's interesting that <laughs> One of one of his credits is the Lawnmower Man. Right. <laughs> 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 uh, I can't believe that I didn't pull that out before the show because it would have. I I swear to God that was not a plant. Uh, he's also he's also responsible for such greats as True Lies and uh, actually I'm not kidding Titanic. Um, and and, and then followed that up with Charlie's Angels and Shallow House. So you know what are you gonna do? Well, that explains the Titanic joke in the film. Then, so there we go. When Scott's <laughs> cracking into the safe, I, I have to say we talked about Michael Pena, but the rest of his crew. I guess all the scenes with that crew just was a great comic balance to that because I I couldn't place the one guy, um, the tech guy, the guy on the laptop, David and then Dustel. I David Dustelmachian. Yeah, because he usually plays like really creepy guys. David Dasmalkian. Yeah, he was the super creepy guy in Prisoner, and he was also the creepy guy in yeah. Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, <gasps> yes. And it's yeah, like here he's right. playing this comic. Yeah, no, it's just uh, his, yes. Not everybody died in Titanic. The old lady lived to throw the jewel in the ocean. <laughs> uh, yes, that was uh, he was great. Ti uh, was uh, great. I thought there, his whole crew. You're right, was just fantastic. And I particularly liked the relationship between Paul Rudd and the crew as sort of the father figure of the crew. You know, I think they it was just really, really well played. And you know what else I really liked? We haven't brought up yet. Uh, opening up in the prison. Uh, and and I think that was an interesting uh, that was an interesting take. And he and Peyton Reed talks about this, just how important it was to reset your expectations of Paul Rudd by opening on him getting hit, um, mm-hmm. because that's not something Paul Rudd would normally do in a film. And that's to true. watch him in a fight, but then turn it a little bit and make it kind of this comedic, you know, goodbye moment, uh, ended up being I think a really nice touch. So. Good and unexpected. Uh, nice to see some of the other uh, regulars kind of float in and out of here. Uh, Haley Atwell, uh, Atwell as Agent Carter, but aged. Uh, kind of surprised me. The makeup was a little bit funky. I couldn't tell it was her, but I'm a big fan of the of Agent Carter, the TV show, so it was nice to see her there. Uh, John Slattery already. We've talked about Howard Stark. Um, Garrett Morris as a cab driver. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was okay. awesome. Did- 
What did everybody think of Michael Douglas? How come we're not talking about him? Oh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> I thought he was great. Really? I loved the bit of starting with him as a oh, young yeah. Michael Douglas. I actually thought they pulled that yeah, off they did. quite yeah, well. I agree. I agree, and I love that they set that relationship up. And I, I loved his history, right? I mean, I love that they they gave him the Ant Man history. I mean, I think that, I think they really gave us some great context for why we're starting with Scott Lang. At least this this is the part of the timeline that we're focusing on. Even though now we know, I mean, gosh, we could pull a uh, Captain America one and go back and do a, an Ant Man story. You know, uh, another good lord, another origin story. But but we could because there's an interesting part of history there. Yep. So. No, I thought he did great. Why did you, uh, JJ? Did you not think he was? I thought he was great when he was playing that? young. I, I, it might be just because I know too much about his current events, but I just worried for him so much. I, I, was, <laughs> I really didn't want him to get hurt. <laughs> I found him. I found him old and frail in some of the old oh. ones. But when he was, but when he was young, I, 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 I thought it was great. And it's probably it probably has nothing to do with his performance. It's probably just you know. No, you're he's just looking out for him. You're just he's, he's transitioned to play grumpy old man very well. You know, that's he's crotchety old guy. And I, I keep, you know, flashing back to like Michael Douglas from like Romancing the Stone, and you know, it's just this this weird generation shift for me yeah, to see he's, him. Is the old now he's guy. Las Vegas? Yes. Oh, oh. yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, any any so other uh, particular people you, you want to talk about? We've we or have we exhausted our uh, means on this? Uh, one? I will say I thought that uh, Christoph Beck actually did a great job with the music for this one. I thought it was very fun. It was he does a lot of just kind of fun sorts of music, and I thought it worked really well in context for this film. I didn't notice it unfortunately, which it was probably fine. It it didn't stick out as as something more or less to me in in, in what you're saying. Sure. No, it's it, it's one of those things. It's like it's not maybe the most noticeable, but I think it's effective for an Ant Man. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> living up to the brand. That's all we care about. <laughs> uh, are we are we at a point where we feel like we should uh, we should rank it? Sure, I think so. Yeah. God, I wish Tommy were here. He just scream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we haven't. We should maybe we should, instead yes, of we, instead of that, we should should. We, I should. feel rotten for doing this, but I I also feel like it's important. Tommy would be here, but he has an incredible. What's the word? Phobia. Well, phobia. well what is the oh, phobia is though? He actually sent the word to us, so I feel like it's okay. We're um, allowed to do um, this. Mere mechophobia. Right. Mere mechophobia. He yes. says, yeah. that's what a phobia of ants is called. Go with God. That's what he said. <laughs> and yes. so we're t- he has an incredible <laughs> fear of ants, and that is uh, that is just fine. But he did make a noble effort. He made it 40 minutes into the film before he gave up and left. <laughs> I don't think he left. I think he fled. He, he fled. He was escorted itchy. out. Screaming, yes. Ran which means screaming. he missed the ant the size of a dog, uh, <laughs> yes. which uh, is a real shame. Uh, because it was a real charmer. So that's what you're missing. That's why uh, Tommy is not here with an Ant-Man song. Why he'd be screaming. Maybe between here and now, now and the time this goes live, we can talk him into doing something custom. <laughs> Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board, everybody, and you can uh, see how these films, this film will stack up. We all liked it up to the level of its name, I think is fair. So is that enough to have it break? Let's see the top. 15. Yeah, we've got 35, so that's pushing it into wow, the top I, half. I, so I, let's I see. Long odds. I don't know. We've done I, some pretty I, terrible I movies. <laughs> yeah, we, we've done really yeah, terrible. Right? We've done yeah. a lot of bad movies. Okay, first up, Ant Man or Cloud Atlas. Oh man. Hmm. Um, I think I'm going to just go with Cloud Atlas because it, you know, it's so much ambition in that film, and it's. Uh, it is a very messy film, but they really were pushing the boundaries with that. So I'm going to go Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Uh, hmm. If I'm going to look at what I'm going to sit down and watch again, I'm going to I'm going to pick Ant Man, and I'm going to have fun. I may be like doing chores around the house. I'm going to have it on. It's going to make me laugh. I'm going to have a good time watching. I'm going to enjoy watching it with my kids. Cloud Atlas, although ambitious. Something I may watch maybe once or twice again in my lifetime. I think it, I just can't. On those criteria, I have to go with Ant-Man. I think I'm with Steve. 
It's hard to open on a uh, on a, a, a contested vote, but I think well, I got to go Ant Man. If if we're using that logic, if it was the movie that I was going to watch again, I actually would say Ant Man. I, I I disliked Cloud Atlas. I just have not been super impressed by Ant Man either. So if that's the criteria, I would give it to Ant Man. I, I think that, it's also fair to say that our logic. I, I, very well could change between ranking to ranking. So <laughs> yes, exactly. It could. Sure. Yes, it could. Right. And I would go with Ant Man with that criteria too, because it's definitely I mean, I get, yeah, one. I mean we rank it on oh, importance we'll get, we'll get or enjoyability Ant-Man. or yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, it, it changes yeah. it's always different. <laughs> uh Ant Man or Looper. Looper. Uh, here I would actually Ant-Man. pick Ant Man. Really? I, I mean, I'm going to pick Ant-Man, but I'm surprised to hear you pick Ant-Man. Why? I don't know. Foreheads? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I need to see Looper again, because the first time I just, I had such high expectations, and it just was meh on that. And I maybe need to revisit it, but I, I just wasn't really that impressed. Yeah. Ant-Man. Yeah, Ant-Man. Okay. <laughs> Well, with Wait, that, it's already over, yeah. Captain America. It well, is Captain yes. America and the Winter Soldier. It's over. It's oh, in our top I lost ten now. That. It's and over the, Avengers: yes, Age of Ultron. Not that is not right. Yeah, I gotta change my vote. No exposition bunker. Ant Man did not have the exposition bunker. Maybe it needed some bunker. <laughs> that movie would have been better with bunker. Okay, Ant Man. <laughs> Ant Man or Fury? Fury. Fury. <laughs> now Fight I'm on a back. roll. I would go Ant Man. <laughs> I would go with Ant Man oh, on this one, but I'll best give you job I ever game. had. That's right. <laughs> Ant Man or Dawn of the Planet? Dawn of the, the Planet, Planet of the, the Apes. Apes. I would say, <laughs> yep, Planet of the Apes. Ant Man or Prisoner? Prisoners. Yeah, the, I would watch Ant Man first, but prisoners, here I'll vote yeah. for Prisoners. I'll go with Prisoners. <laughs> Ant Man or World War oh, Z? Oh, World War, War Z, Z, please. Yeah. Z. Yeah. He's got a thing for zombies. Mm-mm. With that, number Jeez. nine out of thirty-six. Wow. All right, it beat Wait, the top fifteen. Let's let's go back in time an hour and tell ourselves: yes, we all have flaws with find flaws with this film. It's going to make our top ten. <laughs> then we all just hang up. <laughs> We're not even going to do the show. What did you do? Who are you people? <laughs> I I did enjoy it more than Avengers or Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So I. You know, and both Hobbit movies anywhere, and like, Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. Well, not more than Jurassic well, World. There you but, go. <laughs> but more, but this, as we say, this is the the perils of flick chart. But more than right? Looper. Yeah. You know, we also have this thing we don't talk about very much, do we, uh, Andy? We've got this letterbox thing. We should send do, people yeah. there. It's not like it's a secret. We but should we tell should people about it because we never it. talk about it, but we do like the letterbox, and that's where we've got our, our uh, the upcoming list of films that we're going to talk about both on the film board and the regular show, the, the uh, weekend show. Uh, so we, we do our star ratings there. Let's go ahead and, and do that out of five. All right. I would say three and a half. I'm going to give it a three. Three. Three, Steve. I would go, this is out of five. I think it's out of five, out of I'd five. say three and a half is good. Um, I'm uh, I'm gonna go with three and a half too. Just a little bit, just a half a star more than JJ. Pretty much every yeah. film. Yeah. That's gonna be my new thing. Letterbox.com <laughs> slash uh, slash what? The next reel. The next slash, slash the next, the next reel. reel. There you go. So if you're a member of the next of Letterbox, you should follow us there too. We're all over that place. That's it, I think. Uh, where do we go from here, Andy? Are we, what's the next film we're talking about next month? Uh, the next film board will be The Man from Uncle. Oh, excellent. I do like that. Henry. That'll be a good time. Uh, they're normal sized in that, right? They're, they're human. They're sized, <laughs> not ants. <laughs> we should know. Let's just tell <laughs> oh, Tommy, though. Oh, that's great. We did ants and then an uncle. And then uncle. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, man. That is so great. Uh, I cannot wait for it next awesome. month. Thank you, everybody who uh, downloads the show, subscribes to the show. Jump over to iTunes, and uh, if you would, so kindly, please, jump into iTunes, search for this show, and leave us a five-star rating if you like the show. If you're a regular listener, it really helps other people discover the show, and it, it just makes us feel good. That's all. That's what it does. Uh, Steve Sarmento, thank you so much for uh, being here, as always. It's always a pleasure, friends. And JJ, thank you, my friend. Giant man tomorrow. <laughs> and Andy Nelson, I will. Uh, I'll talk, I, man, I will talk to you in 
just it seems like a few hours. <laughs> we're we're gonna be oh, talking a lot. Oh boy, got some good movies <laughs> coming up for the we, uh, regular weekly show. Uh, what are we talking about this week on the regular show? Uh, we're gonna be finishing up our 1939 series with uh, Only Angels Have Wings. There we go. There we go. Finishing up. Uh, so again, thank you, Andy. I'm Pete Wright. We will catch you next month on the next Real Film Board. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today.